Finally, before we get into God's word, um, I want to I call our church uh, to prayer uh, over uh, a matter within our church. And, um, and so let me just set it up this way. If, if you've been around Journey for a while, you might not even know this family because so often they're not able to be a part of us because of the health issues uh, with their son. Um, I'm speaking of Isaac Advey, who is now 13 years old. Uh, since the age of four, he has struggled with cancer. And uh, this past week, his family received some, some pretty difficult news. So, shh, stop again. Um, and so, uh, they're part of our family. They're part of Journey. And uh, we're at a place now where there's not a ton of hope medically, but we know that Jesus is a great physician and that he can do all things and so what I'm asking is for our church family, I know maybe you've prayed in the past and, and, or when you've thought about it, but I want us to be very intentional in the next few weeks of praying that God would do a miracle in this young man's body. Um, and not because Isaac is deserving, none of us are deserving, but God is glorious. And for his namesake and for his greatness that he would do this and... Um, so we're going to pray right now, but I'm going to ask some of you, some of you would even be led to say, you know what, I'm going to take a day a week to fast, or I'm going to take a meal a week to fast, or uh, if you didn't know, we actually have a prayer uh, email that goes out, and uh, part of that prayer email is giving the opportunity to take a day each month to fast, and if you want to be a part, maybe you're saying, I, I never knew anything like that existed you know, talk to myself or talk to um, Alice. Alice, raise your hand over there. Alice Root is our prayer coordinator, and she can give you the details on that. But I, listen, through, throughout the last 2,000 years, we have a whole plethora of church history that shows us that God still performs miracles. And that Jesus is the same, even though he is exalted at the right hand of the Father, he is the same today as he was when he was walking around doing ministry, except for now he's doing that ministry through his body, which is us, through the ministry of his Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to stop rambling and we're going to pray together. Would you pray with me? As I pray, feel free to pray out loud. Don't just let this be my prayer, but you can pray along with me. Father, we lift up to you Isaac. And we thank you for this young man who has shown such courage and who has fought so hard. And God, he, he, he feels that there's still things in front of him. God, there's still a life in front of him. And so, God, we just ask that you would do in this moment, God, even at home, God, that you would do in him what nobody else can do for him, God. You can do for him. We pray that you would heal his body. We speak to every cancerous cell in his body that they must go in the name of Jesus. Every wicked, vile cell from the pit of hell would go in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would bring health and restoration to his body. We lift up to, to you as parents, Larry and Delilah, and they're just tired. And God, they just need encouragement this morning. They need hope God, would you just move in that place that they are right now, God? Would you minister to them in a powerful, powerful way, God? We pray for a sister, Ava. God, would you encourage her today? Would you lift her? Let her know your love and your presence. And God, we're, we're not grieving this morning because we know that the best is yet to come. And God, we know that uh, you're not done yet, and the final word has not been spoken. And so give us faith 
even when they feel like they don't have faith. God, I pray that you would let faith rise up in your church for Isaac and for this family. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, I hate to tell you're not going to like this. Uh, here's, here's the cool thing about this whole story is that in the next service, he's actually going to be here and he's actually going to be baptized in the next service. So just be praying. I've even been praying this week boldly asking that God would do a miracle even as he goes under these waters and comes back out. He's been wanting to get baptized for years and it's just never worked with his treatment schedules and everything else. And they finally said to heck with all that. <laughs> uh, and uh, so it's going to be an incredible service. So if you, even on your way home, would you just be praying, uh, even in you know, the hour or so after this service ends, be praying for that. Well, we've been in a series for the last seven years, um, no, not really, uh, called Choosing Breakthrough. And um, he, here's, if you've been around, you hear me say this every week, but I really believe this. God's desire for you is freedom and breakthrough. You know, we live in such a twisted world. We live in such a broken world. We all know that, right? No one in here is going, oh, what? And so we know that God is going to have the final word. Revelation tells us that all will be made right. Justice will prevail. We all know that, right? All these lies will be twisted and turned around and truth will prevail. And so, so but, but God, want, he wants freedom and breakthrough for you, but we have to be participants in that. He's not just gonna zap us with it. We have to make decisions and choices for breakthrough and for freedom. And so what we've been talking about over the last uh, seven weeks are these choices and, and they're sequential and they build on each other and the choice of humility, the choice of hope. I'm going to choose to believe that God still has the power, that he still has the wisdom, he still has the resources, he still has provision, right? The choice, um, the, the choice of commitment, that I'm going to continually, continually commit all of my life, all of my will to Christ's care and his control. The, 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 the choice of confession, that I'm going to be honest with myself and I'm going to be honest with God and when I'm in the midst of a hurt or a habit that has just so entangled me, I'm going to invite others into the equation and be honest with them as well. We talked about the identity choice, that I'm going to choose to believe what God has to say about me. And then last week, we talked about the forgiveness choice. And uh, I think that struck a raw nerve because I've been hearing a lot of people telling me about that. In fact, I had a conversation uh, last night with my neighbor about forgiveness. And uh, this is a hard thing. Some of you have been through some really difficult things, but can I tell you, you're, you're going to experience freedom and breakthrough when you start making the choice to forgive. And realize, forgiveness is a journey. It's a journey. Um, and give yourself grace in that journey. God gives you grace in that journey, so give yourself grace in that journey. Well, how do you know? So how do you know? You, you get through all these. You've been doing all these things. How do you know that you're getting traction? How do you know that, that you are experiencing breakthrough, that you are experiencing freedom? I think, I think one of the major indicators of how you will know is that you will begin to help other people in the issues that you've struggled with. 
So in the hurts that you've experienced, you will find that you're now able to start helping other people who are experiencing similar hurts. And in the maybe habits or addictions that you've experienced, and now you will have like this ability to minister to others and to, to, to share the recovery that God has brought to you to them. And so what we're calling this this morning is the sharing choice. And this is the last of the seven choices, if you've been wondering. The sharing choice is that I will help others by my example and by my words. It's a telltale sign that you really are experiencing breakthrough and freedom is that now you are able to share what God has done with you and in you and through you to others. Now, here's, here's the lie that keeps us from wanting to do this. And, and my, my thought is probably most of us in this room have bumped up into this lie. The lie is you can't help others until you are perfect. Have you ever felt called by God to minister to somebody or to say something or maybe to, I don't know, maybe even like start a ministry or something, but, but what paralyzes you or what trips you up is this idea that, who am I to do that? Like, I still struggle with this. And so, so the lie is, I, I've got to be perfect before I could ever engage in this. But, but think about it. I mean, back up and zoom out a little bit. If God only used perfect people nothing would ever get accomplished. In fact, the whole, the whole of Scripture itself is story after story after account after story after account of men and women who were not perfect, who were far from perfect, who were the least likely, who God said, you know what, I see that you're not perfect, and yet I still want to invite you into what I am doing. And in, in that, God actually gets glorified, right? He, he gets exalted through that. You don't, you don't have to have it all together in order to help other people. Here's what you need to do. You just need to be one step ahead. Have you ever thought about that before? You just need to be one step ahead of the person that you're helping. In fact, it's better that you're one step ahead of them than to be 10 steps ahead of them. Have you ever been in a place where you needed help and someone swooped in and they were like the model of perfection and they look like they have it all together and they go to help you and, and it's just hard to take help from them, right? But when there's someone who comes in and they almost kind of limp into your story and they say, hey man, I see where you're at. I've been there. It hurts. It sucks. Can, can I walk with you through this? Man, it is so much easier to accept their help, isn't it? In fact, a lot of time, we don't help other people through our strengths. We actually help other people through our weaknesses. Have you noticed that? I am inherently, and you are inherently drawn to people who exhibit their weaknesses. And we know this. In fact, even human psychology tells us that there is a resistance to people who have it all together and who give the aura of, of perfection. It's really interesting. In fact, Paul says it this way. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, and I love this, and the source of all comfort. He is, who is God? God is our merciful Father, and he is the source of all the comfort. If, if you need comfort this morning, God is your source. It says, he says this, He, God, comforts us in all our troubles, I love that reassurance, that he's comforting us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort others. 
When they are troubled, the others in our lives, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Your greatest ministry will often flow out of your greatest pain. Not out of your strengths, not out of your talents, but out of the painful experiences of your life. who's, Who's in a better position to help a parent of a special needs child than another parent of a special needs child? Who, who is in a better situation to help somebody who is going through bankruptcy than someone who would say, I too went through bankruptcy and God brought me to a place of financial freedom and you can do it and I will walk with you through it. Who is in a better situation to help someone who's gone through a severe uh, personal rejection, maybe even a divorce, than somebody else who says, man, I've been rejected. I've got the scars to prove it. Can I walk with you through that? Like, we all know that, right? In fact, as I was saying that, I'm looking at people all over the place, like nodding their heads, like, we get that. And so, so the lie that the enemy wants to bring to you is, well, you can't help somebody else. You're, you're not good enough yet. You're not perfect enough yet. And that lie paralyzes us, and it keeps us from accomplishing so much for the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 28 is an interesting verse, and before I even read it, I'll tell you, sometimes we weaponize this verse, sometimes we, we, we use this to really frustrate people who are in the middle of pain and in the middle of uh, a difficult situation, but I think that this is so instructive. And before I read this, I don't know, Pastor Aaron and maybe someone else can help try to bring this table up here, because we're going to use this as, a, as an example in a moment. But Romans 8.28 says this, and don't worry, now everyone's looking at them. Okay, we'll, we'll let them come, because I don't want to read the verse, and then you're like, oh, I didn't even hear the verse. I was looking at a couple guys carrying a table. So y'all, y'all with me still? It's just a table. We'll get to the stuff in a moment. Uh, Romans 8.28 says, that's great. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You've heard that verse before, haven't you? And, and you know what? Sometimes we love this verse, and sometimes people will quote this verse to us at a time where we go, I don't want to hear this right now, right? You're the only, I think Carrie and I are the only ones who have been there where we're like, I don't want to hear that verse, right? So, so let's unpack this verse a little bit because it goes along with what we're talking about, this sharing choice. First of all, I want, what I want you to see in this verse, it does not say that everything will work out the way that I want it to work out. I wish it did. I really wish it did. It does not promise that, that all things are going to have a happy ending here on this earth. Um, I mean, the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach happy endings here on this earth. I know people, people will say, well, no, 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 you're, you're, Ken, the cross, the resurrection, Jesus in his resurrection proves that we can have a happy ending on this life. Like we're, we're never going to get sick here, here in this world. We're, we're always going to have everything we need here in this world. And I just point them to the fact of, well, what about all of Jesus' disciples after Jesus ascended to heaven? What was their experience? All but one died. That wasn't a happy ending for them. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles, or some of you use the King James, tribulation. I don't like either of those words. Sorrow. What does this verse promise, then, regarding breakthrough and freedom? First of all, it says, we know. We know. In other words, we're not guessing, we're not wishing. 
It means we have certainty. You and I can have confidence. We know. What do we know? We know that God causes everything to work together. He causes everything. Some of your translation says all things. What's included in everything? Are my sins included in everything? Are your sins included in everything? Are the sins of other people included in everything? Are my, um, are, is my DNA and my genetics included in everything? You say, Ken, how long are you going to do this? Okay, everything means everything, right? But in the middle of it, we don't think it does. <laughs> he, says, he says, we know that God causes everything, and then he says to work together for the good of those who love God. Work together. Uh, one translation, the Passion Translation, says woven together. The Greek is this interesting idea that, that, it, that it, has to, it has to come together. Things that don't seem good on their own, when they are put together by the hands of a master, all of a sudden take on a new form, right? A, a great example of this is baking. And so uh, if I was a great baker... Oh, I got to do it the wrong way here. Oh, yeah. I can feel it already. You know, think things on their own. You like that? Does it look good? <laughs> you know, eggs, who, who, who wants a raw egg? Rocky. Aiden, you really do? Come on down, man. I'll, I'll test it out here. Like, you know, I mean, raw eggs, no, no one wants a raw egg. No one wants vegetable oil. No one wants to, flour can kill you. You know, a cup of flour just downing this can kill you. But, but what happens when we put it all together? What happens when my daughter, who makes the best chocolate chip cookies, starts putting these ingredients together, and we got sugar, oh, by the way, and then adds in some Toll House, you know, chocolate chips into the mix, and you put them in an oven. Some of you are feeling the glory of God. You're like, the whole worship time, I didn't even, but now, like, I feel the Shekinah, right? What, what is happening is we're working these things together that in and of themselves you would never digest or even to digest them could actually poison you. Some of these things are bitter. But when, you, when the master, when the chef, when the one who knows the recipe begins to work these things together, begins to weave these things together, good comes out of it. God says, I'm bigger than the bad. Some of you have experienced a lot of bad. And your heavenly father is bigger than that. Now, make no mistake, God doesn't cause those things. We can, we can, we can have a theological discussion afterward, but this is my take. God doesn't cause these bad things to happen, but he will work them for his plan and for his good. But notice the last thing. We know that God causes everything to work together for and then he says this, the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This, this verse and this promise isn't for everybody. It is for those who love God. For those who are giving God the pieces and saying, God, I love you. Take the pieces of my broken life and put them back together. And if you're not following Jesus, and if you're not actively committing yourself, you know, choosing, continually choosing to commit all of your life and your will to Christ's care and to his control, God, God isn't going to, he, he's not going to step into your life and force this to happen. He's, he's, 
He's back here saying, I'm ready anytime you want to give me the reins of your life. Anytime you want to give me control, anytime you want to commit yourself to me, I will step in and I am more than able to take all of this bitterness and all of this rawness and I'm able to take this and work it together and weave it together for good in your life. You know, one of the, one of the greatest examples of this in scripture is the, is the character named Joseph. Joseph, so much of scripture, almost more scripture is about Joseph than any other character in the Old Testament. We have from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 an account, and it, thank God I'm not going to read this whole account for you, okay? But um, let me give you some of the highlights, and if you don't, if you've never heard of the story of Joseph, by the way, I'm not talking about Joseph, uh, Joseph and Mary, you know, the Christmas time story. This is Joseph many years before Joseph and Mary. This is Joseph who was the son of Jacob who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. And Joseph, if you don't know his story, I highly encourage you this week, go and read it for yourself. But Joseph, from the very beginning, was set up for failure. He was the 11th of 12 boys, and his father, Jacob, who we talked about two weeks ago, Jacob, remember, he, Jacob was so dysfunctional. Jacob was messed up on so many different levels. Conflict was his name until God changed his identity, right? But you know, even though God changes our identity, sometimes we still struggle with things. And, and Joseph's dad, Jacob, still struggled with some things. And one of the things that he struggled with in his insecurities and in his dysfunction is he started playing favorites, and he, he showed favoritism to Joseph, and this favoritism, you'd think, well, that's kind of cool to be the favorite. It wasn't cool because he had 11 brothers who despised him and hated him and started bullying him because of the fact that he was his dad's favorite. It got so intense. Some of you are like, well, you know, calm down, Ken. It's not that big of a deal. No, it got so intense that one day when their dad was, you know, miles away and wasn't looking, they sold Joseph to some slave traders that were headed to Egypt. That's a pretty bad day, Right? Long journey to Egypt, this place he doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the customs, he doesn't know the food, he doesn't know anything. He's sold to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is, uh, is an authority in the governmental structure of Egypt at this time, and I mean, again, how bad can things be? But things start looking good. He, he does a good job. Potiphar notices. Potiphar starts giving him kind of authority over some of the other slaves, and things are looking up until Potiphar's wife notices how attractive Joseph is, decides that she wants to sleep with him, and Potiphar respects his boss, respects Potiphar so much that he says, no, I'm not going to do this. He resists the moves that she's putting on him. And in the process, she becomes so angry that he's resisting her that she accuses Joseph of rape and he lands in prison. Here's this guy who, I didn't mention this, who God had actually given him visions as a young boy of how God was going to do great things through him. And now here he is, a slave in prison no hope, will probably rot to death in this place. No one knows him. No one cares about him. No one's looking his direction. Think about Joseph in this moment. The first 40 years of his life, there's, there's nothing on the horizon but God. Joseph refused to give up his integrity. He refused to give up his faith in the one true God. He didn't, even, he didn't even have the information about God that we have. 
All he had, he didn't have anything recorded. He didn't have any scripture that he would read in his cell. All he could do in his cell is recount the stories that his dad would tell him. Maybe, we're not sure of the whole timeline, maybe he had even heard some stories from his grandfather Isaac. Probably not. And so he's in this prison cell. He has these stories from his dad that he's recounting about this God this God who hasn't done much for him, by the way, in his mind. But God begins to work all of these bad things for his good. Next thing, next thing you know, uh, he's being called into the, into the Pharaoh's office. He's being put as second in command over all of Egypt. If you, I'm not telling you how these things went down. You're going to have to read it for yourself if you don't know the story. So now things are looking up, except for meanwhile, back at the ranch, his brothers have no idea that any of this is going on. They don't have CNN or Fox News, or they don't have Twitter, and so they don't know what's going on. And so all they know is, in their minds, Joseph is dead. But they're experiencing the worst, uh, the worst uh, famine that has ever existed, and so the only thing that they have to do is to go to Egypt and see if they can find some food in Egypt. They go to Egypt to find some food and they run smack dab into Joseph. But they don't know it's Joseph. Joseph finally, after a long ordeal, reveals himself to them and they are freaking out, right? This is Joseph's moment for revenge. God is working all of these things out for good. In fact, there's this epic line after Joseph's dad, Jacob, had died and his brothers are convinced that now is the time where Joseph is finally going to enact his revenge. And Joseph says this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, you intended all of these things to harm me, but God has intended it for good. There are people in your life who have meant to hurt you. There are people in your life who have meant to hurt you physically, emotionally, sexually, verbally. They meant it for bad in your life. But God, if you bring all these things to him, can begin to work these things out for good. It doesn't mean that life is going to be cupcakes and unicorns. It doesn't mean that instantly it's all going to change. It may mean that there's a lot of work in the process. But he is perfectly faithful and able and capable of working these things out for good. God brings good out of the bad when I share the hope that he brings with others. I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend, and he, he was just talking about the hopelessness. He goes, it just seems like, there, he, and, he, and he's just a brand new believer, literally just gave his life to Jesus two weeks ago, and still trying to figure out what that means, right? Like, he's trying to walk through this stuff. And so we have like an hour-long conversation last night, and he was, he was talking about Carrie and I. He goes, it just, seems, it just seems like there's like this oasis in your home, and then he says, and there's just all this darkness and despair like all around you guys. And, uh, and it just reminded me how hungry for hope people are. That we are rubbing shoulders with people every day. They're just looking for hope. They're looking for people who will say, you know what, I don't have it all together. I don't have all, and this is what I told him yesterday. I said, listen, we're not perfect. I don't have it all together. We're just trying to follow Jesus as best as we can. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to be one step ahead of the people that you're ministering to. In fact, Jesus didn't call you to be his attorney. 
He called you to be his witness. There's a difference between a witness and an attorney, right? An attorney brings the evidence and he calls for action, right? But a witness, what does a witness do? A witness just testifies regarding what they saw and heard. I don't know about I, I don't know all the details. What did you see, sir? I saw the blue car hit the red car. What do you know about the blue car? How, how does it work? <laughs> how can you fix it? I don't know any of that. All I know is the blue car hit the red car. Is that what I said to begin with? I don't want to mess up my, my witness. See, it's not complicated. You don't have to have all the scripture memorized. It helps. It helps to have scripture memorized. It helps to have these things. But you, you don't have to have all the doctrine figured out. All you have to be able to do is say, listen, I don't know how it all works out. All I know is this is where I was at. This is what I was going through. This is how I was hurting. This was the hopelessness that I was experiencing. And then God entered the equation. And things aren't perfect. And I'm still walking it through. But I'm telling you, I have a peace that I didn't have back when I was over here. And I can pray for that for you too. Can I tell you, that's all it takes. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to be a witness. You don't have to be the attorney. In fact, in, in, the, in the biblical sense, you know who the attorney would be? It's the Holy Spirit. Paraclete is more closely aligned with, a, with an attorney. So, so you don't have to worry about being the attorney. Just be a witness. And I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for I, that we would be able to be that for other people. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. You are so good. And I don't want to sugarcoat the, the issues that are in this room, the pain that is in this room the hurt that is in this room. But God, I do know that you are faithful. That you are a faithful God. And that if we will come to you with our hurt and with our pain, with our grief, with our loss, with the rejection, with the addiction, with the sin, with our brokenness, God, if we, will, if we will bring all of these things to you that in and of themselves are bitter and raw, God, that you are able to weave them together and that good can come out of it. And even if my situation doesn't change, that I can help others through it. And maybe that's the only good that comes out of it is that now I am perfectly positioned to help others who are struggling in a similar way. So Father, I pray that you would empower us to be witnesses. In fact, you said that we would receive your Holy Spirit, that we would receive the power of your Holy Spirit exactly for the purpose of being a witness. So I pray that over every person in this room who, who claims to follow you. And God, for those who don't claim to follow you, God, I pray today would be a day of saying, you know what, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't see how all the pieces work, but I do believe that Jesus loves me. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, for my sins, for my forgiveness, and for my cleansing. 
And so I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be all in with him. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that if there are people in this room who don't know you, that today they would make that choice to commit all of their life and all of their will to your care and to your control. We love you and we honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.